1: to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. We are going to kick things off today by talking about real drilling news, keeping with our name. And then we're going to speak with a guest whose appearance on the show several months ago to talk about the U.S. Postal Service, proved to be one of the most listened to editions in the history of Drilling Deep. I'm talking about Mark Solomon, who is my colleague at Freightways. He's going to bring us up to date on the USPS. A lot has happened there just in the past few months. But yeah, let's talk about drilling. This was quite a week in the oil patch of the U.S., with a lot of companies realizing that things aren't going to change anytime soon and it's time to go big or go home. You had two gigantic deals in the shale patch this week. There was also a pretty big closing a week before with Chevron buying a company called Noble Energy for $4 billion. That was actually more of a natural gas deal. In particular, Noble has a big giant gas field in the Mediterranean. Offshore Israel expected to be a big success. But really what was more interesting than this in the past week was a Phillips bought Concho Resources for $9.7 million. And then Pioneer Natural Resources bought Parsley Energy for $4.5 billion. Oh, and earlier this month, Devon bought WPX for $2.6 million. These are all shale plays. Now, what does this, all this mean for the trucking sector? You know, when we riff on energy at the start of drilling deep, we tend to focus on the price of diesel. What's going on here, though, what I'm talking about, really doesn't have anything to do with the price of diesel. But remember, the U.S. trucking sector is also dependent upon the U.S. oil industry, and in particular the shale industry, for a lot of demand for trucking services. There have already been more than 50 bankruptcies in the oil patch of the U.S. this year, and the loss of those companies, if their assets don't get acquired, is a loss of trucking jobs. But particularly in shale, you know, the rocks always remain. Shale is not quite like conventional oil and gas production. You can bring it back on pretty quickly, even if it's been shut down. And getting companies that were in financial trouble into the hands of stronger companies, like a ConocoPhillips, like a Pioneer Natural Resources, should bend those other companies' cost curve and allow them to stick around a little longer, well, maybe a lot longer. So in that sense, from the perspective of trucks servicing the oil patch, this week was a pretty good week. The price of oil is absolutely stuck. It's been in a range of around $40 for months now. It's one of the dullest periods of volatility I can remember but it also isn't at a price that is really sustainable. The problem is that, understandably, oil companies are cutting back their drilling. Pipeline companies are cutting back their expansion plans. Layoffs are being undertaken. ExxonMobil announced its plans to lay off a lot of people earlier this week. The history of commodity cycles, then, is that it sets the price up for the next spike. Investment into new production slows as normal depletion occurs. But what some analysts think this is different this time is that the other half of those commodity cycle, where the part where demand rises because of economic recovery and lower prices, they don't think that that part's going to happen this time around to any large degree because of the substitution of other fuels like electric vehicles. Electric vehicle market share, though, in 15 countries was 2.5% at the end of 2019. That's according to McKinsey. That grew to 2.8% in the first quarter of this year. That doesn't sound like much, but that's actually a pretty significant rise, but can it continue? Because unless that number is big, the end of the oil era might not be all that soon. This may be what companies like ConocoPhillips are banking on. They remember that at the end of 1998, Exxon bought Mobil for a number that valued Mobil at around $10 per barrel. By early 1999, just a few months later, the price of oil was at its all-time inflation-adjusted low, and it was down around $10. But, you know, by the 2000 presidential campaign, which wasn't even two years later, the price of oil was high enough to be a campaign issue. Years of underinvestment at those low prices led to tight supplies, and Exxon looked like geniuses, and the people running mobile didn't look too smart for selling at the lows. Now, shale is different. As we said, it can come on pretty quickly. The rocks don't go away. A surge in prices could result in a lot of those rocks being turned back on, and we're right back to about $40 oil. But with the drop in investment and the fact that someday the pandemic will be behind us, it could be that those companies buying those assets this week at distressed prices are going to look pretty smart. Keep your eye on them. They could be a future employer of your trucking fleet. We're going to switch gears here on Drilling Deep, as we usually do at this time. And we're going to bring back a guest whose appearance on the show a few months ago was one of the most downloaded editions of Drilling Deep in its history. I'm talking about my colleague, senior editor Mark Solomon. And the subject we talked about was the U.S. Postal Service. Mark, welcome back to Drilling Deep. It's great to
0: be back, John.
1: So so it seems kind of soon to do it again, but you know, the, the reason I wanted to have you on, besides the fact that you know you're just such a ratings magnet, is that um that I was the one who wrote the interview that you did, I covered about the interview that you did as part of the Freight Waves Last Mile Summit a few weeks ago. You interviewed Gordon Glazer was a senior consultant with Shipware and whose area of expertise is the Postal Service. It, it was a fascinating interview. He really held nothing back. He was extremely critical of the new postmaster, Louis DeJoy. Uh, but even then, back then, it seemed like what was a war on the post office that we talked about when you were on Drilling Deep a while ago had calmed down a bit. And now you're not even hearing that much of it as an issue, maybe because just because there's so much other stuff going on. But um, given what Gordon said and given what's going on over the last three or four months, has the Trump administration backed off the post office as a favorite target?
0: John, I don't think they've backed off as much as they have more important fish to fry, which is getting President Trump reelected. I do not believe that the post office will play a role in, <clears throat> excuse me, in the um, handling of ballots. I think they uh, there will be some dislocations, but this is an agency that ships uh, hundreds of millions of letters a day, adding X amount of demand in the form of ballots should not be particularly difficult for USPS to manage effectively, and most I mean, importantly, in a timely manner.
1: You've already seen some incidents with some ballots, you know, a small number being found that had gotten somehow out into the the world, dumped away, and, mm-hmm. you know, not utterly minuscule amount, but it's already become an issue. I know that, you know, some sides are making a big deal of it. So it, it's almost like the post office has to Uh, has to meet a standard of utter perfection where they're going to get dragged into this into a a tight election.
0: And when they write the history of the Postal Service and it goes back to the 18th century, uh, this will probably go down as the worst year in its history. It has never been as politicized as it is today. Uh, In fact, 50 years ago, Congress required the post office to be separated from the executive branch for the sole purpose of making it independent and keeping it immune from political firestorms like we are seeing today. And as he seems to be very capable of, uh, Donald Trump has uh, walked all over. legislation, uh, walked all over federal law and he has brought the post office deeply into the political realm and has made things a a nightmare for the agency.
1: Well, so what, what has Lewis DeJoy has been doing over the last, you know, we spoke about three months ago. I mean, again, he does seem to have, he was, he was very much in the public eye and then that kind of disappeared. Uh, Has he backed off on some of the changes he wanted to make?
0: To be honest, I do not know. I think he was forced by public opinion to back off on the steps that he had taken shortly after becoming Postmaster General, steps that were not really that relevant to the post office's operations that it could not have waited until after the election, Um, the the issue with the mailboxes, issues with process, mail processing equipment, issues with changing schedules of of mail delivery trucks. These are things that may or may not be uh, relevant to the Postal Service's long-term efficiency. But it's something that did not have to be done at this point in time. I, I think the timing of this was terrible and that Donald Trump and Louis DeJoy created a storm where one did not exist.
1: Is DeJoy replaceable in a Biden administration or does he have a term? He, uh, he can. He can
0: last Uh, Through a Biden administration, it's doubtful that he will be kept, given his very, very close relationship with President Trump and his affiliation with the Republican Party. Uh, Ironically, he would be a fairly good fit, uh, in my view, to be Postmaster General. Uh, Uh, Just
1: because he's got such a deep, extensive logistics background.
0: Correct. And he's a businessman. And I, I think... You know, the Postal Service's primary goal and primary mission every day is to pick up and deliver stuff. And the nature of logistics will become that much more important to USPS as parcels are its future. Its future is not first class mail. It's not marketing mail. Its future are parcels.
1: What are you? What were Some of your thoughts about Gordon Glazer's interview that you did with him? Uh, he didn't hold. He did not hold much back. Uh, he was pretty angry, mm-hmm. and uh, I think you know somebody in that position as a consultant. Consultants t- tend to be trying to moderate. They try to kind of see both sides of things. But that's why I know when I was listening to it, I was a little bit surprised at how strong he was. He was really angry about everything that. Uh, Came to the postal Postal Service had been going on, but he was also critical of the Postal Service in some areas. But he seemed to be at that point where he was going to give a lot of errors, uh, a lot of give a lot of give a pass on a lot of errors just because he wanted to to defend the agency.
0: I think Gordon shares the view of a lot of people who closely follow the agency. There is a tremendous uh, connection between. USPS and those who follow and manage relationships with the agency on a, on a regular basis. I think he is proud of the Postal Service. I think he believes the Postal Service does a fine job, all things considered. Uh, I do believe Gordon is very outspoken in his opposition to DeJoy joy. And in his opposition to Trump, I've known Gordon for quite some time. And what he said to me on the air is what he has said to me via email and phone conversation for a couple of years, particularly this year.
1: You know, one of the things I think that that he said that I found most interesting is that, you know, the Postal Service has to compete with U.S., with the U.P.S., it's that like it has to compete with FedEx, and they're their customers as well. And it's one of it's it's a strange situation because UPS and FedEx, as postal service customers, can go to the Postal Commission that manages it and sort of make demands and ask for things. There's really no other businesses that can do that that face that that this was this really unique position. And I just thought that was a very incisive uh, observation.
0: Well, the the postal service is a unique institution in many ways. It, it has a monopoly over first class mail. has since you know, the beginning of time or the beginning of the Republic. Um, but it is hamstrung in ways that no agency is, and certainly no business would ever think to be. And it's, um, it, it, Is what makes the postal service a unique institution. Again, remember, John, it was not set up as a business. It was set up as a manner, or excuse me, a conduit to promote and further communication between all Americans. It is, it is really not a business, even though it needs to be managed like one. But it will never be. A business as you and I know a business to operate. And it was never intended to be, and it wasn't set up to be that
1: way. Yeah. No business has its ultimate decision-making power in the hands of elected officials.
0: That's true. And um, there has been discussion in terms of reforming the Postal Service of of streamlining, if not eliminating the role that the Postal Regulatory Commission plays in particularly competitive products where, you know, the, the, the segment where they compete, where the Postal Service competes with FedEx, UPS, DHL, e-commerce, and also does business with them. Um, the Postal Service does not have the ability to adjust rates, <clears throat> excuse me, and service criteria on the fly. Um, and it's something that has been discussed for quite some time. I mean, is, is there a need for a postal regulatory commission to manage the competitive side of USPS's affairs, which is where they compete with the private sector?
1: You know, Gordon made some uh, another. Well, he made a lot of interesting observations, but he was talking about the call by President Trump to increase parcel rates. You know, some crazy amount, four times or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he pointed out that the the research research has shown that that is a, an extremely elastic market. That any kind of an increase in postal rates uh, does have an impact on volume pretty quickly and pretty pretty clearly. Correct,
0: Amazon. Which is the postal service's largest shipping customer would take oh probably three quarters of its existing business with the postal service in house. It's already taken a lot of the business in house. The business that um, it moves within high density urban areas, um, but a quadrupling of parcel rates would <coughs> excuse me would would be a catastrophe. For their post office, it would also be very damaging to merchants because it would then give you know, UPS and FedEx a much freer hand in setting the kind of rates that would be anathema to smaller merchants who have promised free shipping in many cases, and rely on the post office to provide the low-cost shipping that helps the merchants fulfill that pledge to its, to their customers.
1: You know, you, we talked earlier about the Postal Rate Commission and just the fact that the post service is hamstrung on a lot of things. Uh, Gordon talked about something that, I mean, I've heard for years, long before I came to Freight Waves, the idea of allowing the postal service to be a bank to provide banking services, particularly in rural areas that are unbanked or underbanked. And every time they discuss it, every time they try to do it, uh, the lobbyists for the bigger banks uh, put pressure on Congress and it's banned. How big a deal is that? Uh, Or is this just, you know, one of these things that's kind of theoretical, but gets shot down and it really wouldn't have that much difference? Uh,
0: You know, I haven't focused on that. My my coverage area really is transportation. I haven't spent a lot of time looking at The banking issue uh, on its surface, I don't I mean, it all
1: all really kind of goes down to the infrastructure that they have in place, which is buildings big and small all over the place. Uh, And in the same way that they're required to serve really rural, faraway areas that maybe banks aren't serving too well, the idea is they're already there. They Uh, can add that service. uh,
0: Like I said, I don't follow the the issue uh, that in theoretical terms, makes perfect sense. Uh, I don't have a problem with it as a consumer, as a observer, um, but I don't spend a lot of money on swaying Congress. So.
1: All right. so what what do you think might be different for the post-service in a Biden administration if it comes to that? Um, yes, okay, they won't be under constant pressure and the target of tweets, but it probably needs to be something more than that. Let's say it's January 20th, 2021. Uh, what would you recommend for the Postal Service that the Biden administration does for the Postal Service and Congress do uh, for the next two or three years?
0: Well, I think the first thing that should be accomplished is to remove the requirement of prepaying uh, health benefits for future retirees, people who don't even aren't even born yet, let alone work for the postal service. If they got a job with the postal service, the postal service is required to prepay their their health benefits. Well. No agency, and we've had this discussion. No agency is required to do it. No company in its right mind would do it. Uh, and uh, there were there was a bill that passed the House quite decisively before the pandemic that lifted that burden from USPS's shoulders. It went over to the Senate. It didn't go anywhere. And then COVID hit, and that was that. Um, but I think that would be the first step. In getting the postal service righted financially for the long term, uh, operationally, you know they're in a they're in a tight spot. Um, their three major customers for sh- for parcel delivery are FedEx, UPS, and Amazon. Uh, UPS continues to use them, though the Teamsters and UPS is heavily unionized the teamsters want that business to go to them not to the post office FedEx has basically taken all of its business away from the post office with the exception of um uh, suburban and rural areas and maybe they they've held back somewhat in in this year of covid because this was something they had planned to have Finished by the end of this calendar year, Amazon will give the post office the business, the traffic that it is uneconomical for it to handle.
1: Right, and as as they extend their distribution centers all over the place, I mean, I can, and that's another problem. You're talking
0: about these distribution centers being low, you know, small distribution centers being. You know, populated in various you know all over the country. As a matter of fact, I mean, you can walk out your front door, <laughs> you know, take a walk, and maybe see an Amazon distribution center. No, that I mean,
1: that, I mean that's that, that's not a joke. There's a might, around, there's no an old joke, supermarket yeah. near me that that sat sat vacant for four years. It's being turned into a uh, Amazon. It is
0: no, it's no joke. Um, you have to keep in mind that that contrary to what President Trump says it is often more expensive for amazon to use the postal service than it is to deliver parcels through its own network and that's been that's an issue that president trump conveniently forgets the postal service has raised prices on its delivery service that they ha- it has with parcel carriers. It's called Parcel Select. It's been in great demand for the last gee, five, six years at least. And the last two, three years, rates have gone up quite significantly. And, you know, it, it's, it's – the Postal Service is not a piñata for the carriers. I, I mean, the, the carriers – pay a decent amount and it's profitable for the post office. The Washington Post did a great story about a month ago and they unearthed data, which quantified the profit margins that the postal service enjoys on Amazon's parcel traffic. And it is significant. And you know, the idea that the postal service loses A dollar on every shipment tendered to it by Amazon is ludicrous.
1: We could talk about this for a long time, and I expect we'll be talking about it in the next term of whoever the president is, because they're going to have such different approaches. So, Mark, I want to thank you, my colleague Mark Solomon, for joining us here today on Drilling Deep. Drilling Deep is part of the freight freight wage family of FreightCast. You can find us on all the main podcast platforms. Uh, I'm not going to go over to all them. There's just too many of them anymore. I'm your host, John Kingston. I want to thank you for tuning in. We'll see you again.